This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to Best's Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best's Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Jim Boyers from the law firm Wood & McLaughlin in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jim Boyers is a partner and trial lawyer who represents clients in complex matters involving multiple parties arising from product liability, construction, and environmental claims. Jim's work has included multiple multi-district litigation, or MDL, matters in federal court. Jim works on e-discovery strategy and claims, including the negotiation of and court documents about search terms, the handling of data from complex databases, and standing orders for production of such discovery. And Jim, thank you so much for joining us again this morning. Thank you for uh, inviting me to this discussion today. Today's discussion is what insurers and defense counsel should know about e-discovery. And for our first question today, Jim, when does the duty to preserve potential evidence begin? Your expectation should be that the obligation to preserve begins when a party reasonably anticipates litigation or should. The obligation can arise based on the the significance of the claimed injury, publicity associated with the event, statements made by the claimant, or by the claimant's retention of an attorney. And this obligation cuts both ways for insureds, insurers, and claimants. Oftentimes, the claimant's attorney will send a preservation letter demanding that all relevant documents and data be preserved from text to emails, to photos, to surveillance video, and to car event data recorders. Of course, claimants have the same obligation to preserve their evidence, and that may often include text and social media. Jim, what does the duty preserve require? Well, not to sound like a lawyer, but it really depends on many variables. But at the most fundamental level, the duty involves taking reasonable steps to preserve all documents and data that are reasonably likely to contain relevant information for the claim. In federal court and in many state courts around the country, the concept of proportionality applies to limit the scope of preservation when sources may be duplicative, they may be cost prohibitive to deal with, or so voluminous as to make their use in the case overly burdensome. But if we set aside the issue of potential breadth of scope of the duty to preserve, it simply requires all parties involved to take steps early on in the case to identify potential data sources and to determine whether they can or should be preserved. So, for example, in an auto collision case, the data sources could include event data recorders from the vehicle, smartphones, digital cameras, and social media accounts, especially on injury issues. In premises liability cases, we'll see many of the same or similar sources, but other things like surveillance video or maintenance records, incident reports, guest records, or customer transaction records. These all can be helpful and putting together the whole picture and potentially identifying witnesses. Now, some may think that printing a photo or taking a screenshot of a text uh, or converting them to a PDF 
satisfies the duty to preserve, but that isn't always the case. Um, if opposing counsel agrees to that, it may be acceptable, but it eliminates metadata, which may be determined to be relevant, metadata that would be in the native form of the evidence. So, for example, a printed photo loses metadata that, for most digital cameras, would include date, time, and potentially location of the photo, and also help verify the presentation of the image at trial. And finally, the best practice is to issue formal litigation data and document preservation holds to clients and to send a preservation letter to the opposing party. Jim, what can happen when duty is not met? This depends as well, uh, oftentimes based on the jurisdiction, the venue, and the specific circumstances. Uh, I would say that federal court typically um, takes the most aggressive approach. In most circumstances, though, courts will assess what data was lost and what prejudice was created by the loss, and importantly, whether good faith efforts were taken to avoid losing relevant data. Now, sometimes you may lose data in one form, but be able to find it from other sources, and this can help avoid sanctions for the party that lost the data. And where a party can demonstrate the good faith efforts to preserve uh, or that the lost data had limited value, courts typically will limit the level of sanction or leave it to the jury to assess whether or not the lost evidence um, would have been prejudicial to that party. So I'll give you a couple of examples of how courts handled situations where the opposing party failed, in the court's opinion, to meet its duty to preserve and how it can impact the valuation of cases. So the first example um, that I want to talk about was a state court trial uh, a little over a year ago where we dealt with a situation where the plaintiff filed suit not long after the event at issue took place. It was a medical malpractice case um, involving the treatment of a infection or an alleged infection in a toe. So the timing and appearance of the toe in the pictures was essential to assessing uh, their relevance to the case and to determining the material issues. Um, but the plaintiff, instead of giving us digital images at the outset of the case, uh, provided print copies. Now, during the course of discovery, we requested the original digital images, and they were not produced. So the court, prior to the initial trial date, had agreed to issue a spoliation instruction. Now, a spoliation instruction tells a jury that images or evidence was lost and that they're entitled to conclude that that lost evidence would have been harmful to the party who lost the photo's case. Um, so that, that was a very positive thing. But in this instance, the plaintiff at the last minute identified digital images um, and provided them to us. As a result, the case was continued, and we were able to show that the print images that we were given distorted uh, the appearance of the, the digital images, that 
certain images had never been provided to us, and those happened to have dates and coincided with our client's medical records, and that um, they actually lost some of the digital images. So the court limited what the plaintiff could use in terms of the images that it had, and they ultimately only presented one in their case, um, and issued a spoliation instruction as well. And we, we think it significantly undermined um, the plaintiff's credibility at trial, and ultimately the jury ruled our way. In another federal matter that we recently handled, um, the opposing party lost text messages and emails after the duty to preserve had been triggered. And the federal magistrate issued a report and recommendation to sanction those defendants with a default judgment on liability. Now, this is an extreme remedy and an extreme sanction. But the court found that the loss of data from the employee's personal devices and work computers demonstrated insufficient preservation efforts and supported a finding of bad faith. And in the report, the magistrates said that when the defendants denied that they could access or control certain data, he believed the characterization was wildly and concluded also that that lost data likely would have had a material impact on the case. Now, the case was resolved before the district court judge uh, adopted that report, but we are convinced that it had a significant impact, an adverse impact, on the defendant's position heading into the resolution of the case. Now, that magistrate uh, Magistrate Dinsmore from the Southern District of Indiana uh, has a recently published case uh, called Senior Lifestyle Corporation v. He Benefit Administrators, Inc. And the Westlaw site is 2019 Westlaw 3281637. We suggest, uh, if you have the chance, to review that because it gives a really nice uh, analysis of foliation issues. And finally, uh, I want to talk about another federal court matter that we handled involving a commercial dispute, uh, including the theft of trade secrets. Now, when we did our 30B6 deposition uh, or corporate representative deposition in that case, uh, the representative testified that he had destroyed his smartphone after he had been uh, put on notice of potential violation of his employment agreement. Now, we never got to the point where we filed a motion for sanctions based upon that clear act of spoliation, but we are certain that it helped us in presenting our position in mediation, which also led to uh, uh, resolution. Jim, what steps should be taken to avoid spoliation issues in cases? Well, I think insurers, when claims come in, need to consider creating procedures for identifying and preserving sources of relevant data when claims appear likely to end up in litigation. Those procedures might include having a data questionnaire for insureds and liability claims, ensuring that the insured 
has also received a preservation notice from outside counsel and verifying that they've acted on the preservation. Um, in some cases, having uh, regional or national relationships with uh, forensic collection vendors can be helpful. And in cases where there's really significant exposure and a large amount of electronic discovery, consider retaining discovery counsel uh, to handle those uh, on a broad basis. And Jim, finally, what steps should be taken to ensure that plaintiff preserves evidence? Well, I think that there should be a procedure in place to put claimants on notice of their obligations to preserve and that it can pay dividends um, because it arises, uh, the duty arises before they receive a preservation letter. But, and regardless of whether you ever send one, but the benefit to sending it is it establishes a point by which the plaintiff cannot argue or the claimant cannot argue that it failed to anticipate litigation. Um, it also helps frame the scope of the preservation, uh, which is important uh, to make sure that their good faith arguments go away if they're too narrow. Um, or at least they have to come up with a good reason for why their preservation was more narrow than what was requested. Finally, I think having relationships with e-discovery vendors and e-discovery counsel can maximize um, insured's ability to avoid foliation issues and also obtain essential evidence um, in a cost-effective way. Jim, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. That was Jim Boyers from the law firm of Wood & McLaughlin in Indianapolis, Indiana. And special thanks to today's producer, Frank Vowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for Best Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professional Resources features valuable insurance industry content, including searchable profiles of client-recommended insurance attorneys, adjusters, and expert service providers. Brought to you by AM Best, known worldwide as a respected source of insurance industry news and information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.